Seventeen-year-old high school student Junko Furuta is grabbed on her way home from work by boys from her class. For forty-four agonizing days and nights, she's held captive and tortured in a family home while the boys' parents go about their daily lives. By the end, death was a welcomed friend. What you're about to hear is one of the most horrific murder cases in Japanese history. Thank you for watching True Crime Recaps. I'm Chris, and I have to warn you of all the horrific recaps we've shared. This one is one of the most disturbing. For 44 harrowing days and nights, Junko was tortured, violated, beaten, and dehumanized by a gang of teenage boys. Their ringleader, 18-year-old Hiroshi Miyano, went to class with her at Yashio Minami High School in Misato, Japan. The two of them were about the same age, but they couldn't have been more different. Junko was your typical teenager. She was among the most popular girls in school, though she didn't party or cut class like some of the other girls. She studied hard, earned good grades, and dreamed of becoming a singer and dancer like the girls she saw on TV. Meanwhile, Hiroshi was a delinquent. He'd fallen into a life of crime early on. By the time his path crossed with Junko's, he was a low-level gangster in the yakuza, the notorious Japanese mafia. He had a reputation as a bully who flaunted his criminal connections to get what he wanted, and he had a crush on Junko. Unfortunately for him, she wanted nothing to do with him. Telling people like Hiroshi no usually leads to a beating or worse. But Junko wasn't about to be bullied by some two-bit gangster. Twice a week, Junko clocked in at her after-school job at a plastic molding factory. She and her friends were planning a big graduation trip, and she wanted to save enough money to go all out. She already had a job lined up in consumer electronics after the trip, so she wanted to make the most of her last bit of freedom before starting her full-time job. Meanwhile, Hiroshi was building out his rap sheet. It began with small-time crimes like shoplifting and property damage. He was dating his friend's sister and planned on marrying the girl, but Hiroshi didn't have enough money for a wedding. He took a job laying tile, but it paid pennies compared to what he could make with the yakuza. So Hiroshi went all in, dedicating his life to crime and violence. He developed a taste for sex crimes with his friend and fellow gangster, 16-year-old Shinji Minato. It was November 25, 1988. Junko had just gotten off work and was racing home on her bike. She was excited to watch the series finale of her favorite show, Dragonfly. Her ride home took her through a park where Hiroshi and Shinji liked to hunt vulnerable women. As Junko pedaled down the path, Shinji ran up and kicked her off her bike. As Junko lay there in shock, Shinji fled. That's when Hiroshi swooped in, playing the role of the helpful bystander. He offered to keep Junko safe and walk her home. Junko, having no real reason to be afraid of him, agreed. She never made it home, and she never saw the end of Dragonfly. Instead, Hiroshi took her to an abandoned warehouse. He dug through her bag and found a notebook with her address written down. He said his yakuza friends would kill her and her family if she screamed or tried to run away. Hiroshi took Junko's virginity by force in that warehouse. Then he took her to a seedy motel and violated her again. While she lay there shaking and crying, he called his buddies to brag about it. But after listening to his story, the guys pleaded with him not to let her go. They wanted to join in. 
So around 3 a.m., Hiroshi met up with Shinji and two other friends, Joe Agura and Yasushi Watanabe, both 17, in a park where they took turns violating Junko. You'd think that would be enough for them. They'd had their twisted fun. Now let the girl go. Instead, they decided to keep her. The four boys took Junko to Shinji's house about 15 minutes away from the safety of her own home. Shinji lived with his parents and brother, so he forced Junko to act like his girlfriend whenever his parents were around, but the charade didn't last very long. It's hard to ignore a real-life horror movie playing out in front of you in your own home, but that's exactly what Shinji's parents did, although later they claimed they were too afraid of the boys' Yakuza connections to put an end to the torture. Meanwhile, Junko's parents were worried sick. She always came home after work, and she never missed an episode of Dragonfly. After searching the route she would have taken home and calling all her friends, her parents called the police two days later to report her missing. The boys knew they had to squash this. They forced Junko to call her mom and say she ran away. She was safe at a friend's house but couldn't say where. It took three long phone calls to convince Miss Furuta to call off the law. Even though she was surrounded by people, Junko was utterly alone now. The countdown had started on her final 42 days on Earth. Three days into captivity, Hiroshi invited more friends to come over and take their turn. The boys got high on cough medicine and went upstairs to Shinji's room where Junko was being held hostage. When the door opened, she tried to run away, but the gang tackled her and held a pillow over her face to muffle her screams. As you might expect, Shinji's parents woke up to check on the noise. He told them it was nothing. They went back to bed, knowing damn well their son and his friends were gang-raping this poor girl on the other side of the wall. Sources say Junko stared blankly at the ceiling while they brutalized her. The Minato home was a revolving door of gang members coming to have their way with Junko. One of the worst days saw 12 different men abuse her. By the end of her captivity, reports say she was violated upwards of 400 times by 100 different men. The attacks didn't end at rape either. Hiroshi and his friends tortured Junko day in and day out. The boys treated Junko like a sexual science experiment. They inserted dangerous objects into her anus and vagina, including metal rods, lit matches, bottles, fireworks, scissors, skewers, and light bulbs. Their experiments destroyed Junko's internal organs. She couldn't use the bathroom and was forced to lay in her own waist. Her diet consisted of alcohol, milk, water, and cigarettes. Sometimes they made her eat cockroaches and drink her own urine. Hiroshi was the cruelest of all. He'd douse her arms and legs with lighter fluid, pour hot wax on her face, put candles on her eyes, and burned her skin with lighters and cigarettes just to see what would happen. By the end of December, Junko was so severely injured and malnourished, she could hardly move off the floor. At times, they strung her body up and beat her with golf clubs, bamboo sticks, and iron rods. Her injuries quickly became infected. Pus leaked from her skin and she smelt like she was rotting from the inside out. The boys lost sexual interest, so they kidnapped and gang-raped a 19-year-old woman. Luckily for her, she escaped before suffering a similar fate. The police failed Junko twice during her 44-day ordeal. 
one of the boys Hiroshi invited over was so sickened by the scene that he told his older brother. The brother told their parents and the parents called the police. But when the police arrived at the Minato household, Shinji's parents assured them that everything was fine. There was no girl being held captive. Don't be ridiculous. Another time, Junko got her hands on a phone and called the police herself, but before she could utter a word, the boys grabbed the phone and dragged her away. When the cops showed up, Shinji convinced them it was a mistake. It wasn't like the boys were known as sweet kids in the neighborhood. The police knew they were troublemakers and gang-affiliated, yet they still took Shinji's word. As punishment for calling the cops, the boys doused Junko in lighter fluid and set her on fire. Junko was broken beaten and burned beyond repair. It's said that blood had filled and hardened in her nasal cavity, meaning she could only breathe through her mouth. Her stomach wouldn't accept water anymore. She'd vomited up immediately. January 4th, 1989 was Junko's last day on earth. The story of her death revolves around a game of mahjong. Some sources say Junko beat them at the game, but given how destroyed she was by that time, the more likely version is that Hiroshi lost 100,000 yen gambling on mahjong and took his frustration out on Junko. Hiroshi was so upset he covered her head to toe in lighter fluid and set her on fire. Junko tried desperately to put out the flames, but she was so weak she could hardly move. It finally went out on its own, leaving her horribly burned. She went limp and silent, but the beating didn't stop. She was bleeding profusely, pus dripped from her infected wounds, so they wrapped plastic bags around their fists to keep their hands clean while they punched and kicked her over and over again. At one point, they held her up only to kick her down. When she fell, she hit her head on a stereo system and went into spasms, but still they didn't stop. Instead, one of them picked up an exercise weight, held it over their head and let it drop on her stomach. The attack lasted two agonizing hours until Junko finally died from her injuries. But the boys didn't realize she was dead. They just thought she had passed out. Hiroshi wrapped her legs in packing tape to keep her from running away, and the gang went to the sauna. It wasn't until Shinji's brother called that they realized Junko was dead. Now the boys were truly afraid. The legal system would likely go easy on them for rape and assault. Murder was a different story. They wrapped her body in blankets and stuffed her in a 55-gallon drum. Before filling the barrel with concrete, Hiroshi tossed in a VHS copy of Dragonfly's final episode. He knew Junko had always regretted never seeing it, but this wasn't some last act of kindness or pity. Hiroshi just didn't want Junko's spirit to haunt him. Once the concrete hardened, they put it on a truck and dumped it in a warehouse district in Tokyo. The boys thought they had gotten away with murder, but they wouldn't be free for long. On January 23rd, a few weeks after Junko's death, Hiroshi and Joe were arrested for the rape of that 19-year-old girl. While questioning Hiroshi, the police mentioned an unsolved murder case. Thinking Joe had confessed to Junko's murder, Hiroshi told them where to find the body. The cops looked at each other as if to say, what's this kid talking about? But sure enough, they located the cement barrel with Junko's mutilated body inside. By April, all four boys were arrested for Junko's kidnapping, rape, torture, and murder. You'd think a crime this heinous would land them in prison for the rest of their lives. But you'd be wrong. 
In 1980s Japan, anybody under 20 years old was considered a minor. Junko and her killer's names and pictures were supposed to be kept secret. They were referred to in court documents and newspapers as A, B, C, and D. Junko was E. But her name and image eventually leaked. The press had a field day printing her horrifying story in every newspaper and magazine, but only one publication was brave enough to expose the killers. A publication called Shukan Bunshin decided to break protocol and publish the boys' names and pictures. In the words of the editor-in-chief, we decided that beasts don't have human rights. But the courts thought differently. Instead of murder, all four boys pled guilty to causing bodily injury resulting in death. As the ringleader, Hiroshi got 20 years in prison, the maximum sentence before a life sentence. Joe Agura got eight years in juvenile detention, while Shinji and Yasushi got five to seven and five to nine years, respectively. Shinji's parents and brother claimed ignorance and were never charged with the crime. The light sentences left a horrible taste in everyone's mouth. According to one source, Junko's mother had a complete mental breakdown after hearing of her daughter's fate. She had to be admitted to a psych ward. Junko's family did sue Shinji's parents and won 50 million yen, or about 370,000 U.S. dollars. People from across Japan flooded the prosecutor's office, begging for the death penalty. To them, Junko's case was a gross failing of Japanese juvenile law. Little did they know, it was about to get worse. Hiroshi, Joe, and Shinji were eventually released and quickly reoffended. In 2018, Shinji was arrested for nearly beating a 32-year-old man to death with a metal rod. He slit the man's throat and left him to bleed out. It's said that Joe liked to brag about his role in Junko's case. In 2004, he was arrested for abducting and assaulting a guy he thought his girlfriend was fooling around with. He threatened to kill the man, saying, I've killed before, and I know how to get away with it. You might say the apple didn't fall far from the tree. Joe's mother allegedly vandalized Junko's grave, claiming Junko ruined her son's life. Hiroshi got out of prison in 2009 and was arrested for fraud in 2013. However, there wasn't enough evidence to hold him. The initial goal of Japanese juvenile law is to rehabilitate young offenders. That clearly didn't work in Junko's case. More violent crimes with young offenders piled up, like the Kobe child murders of 1997 when a 14-year-old killed two other young boys. The laws finally changed in 2000, lowering the age of criminal responsibility from 16 to 14. Yet, it didn't change how people felt about Junko's case. She lived in hell for at least 40 days and 40 nights. Most reports say she endured that for as long as 44 days. At her funeral, her would-be employer gave her parents the uniform she would have worn. Her high school principal honored her at graduation, presenting her parents with Junko's diploma. Wakasu Park now sits over the area where her body was found. In Japanese papers, she's remembered as the concrete-encased high school girl murder case. Junko died just two weeks before her 18th birthday. And that's your recap. Thanks for hanging out with us today. If you like getting all the crime in half the time, go ahead and tap that subscribe button so you never miss a story. But don't go away. Catch up on more recaps right here, right now. Until next time, take care.